Remember to check out episode 13 with Dawn from SIG, where we cover everything sourcing and we talk about how to take sourcing into the boardroom. This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put sexy into supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Nick. Hello, and welcome back to the Two Babes Talk Supply Chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Nick, and today we are talking about a topic that you won't find anywhere else except on the Trade Ready blog and Two Babes Talk Supply Chain podcast. Lights, camera, action. The cast of characters it takes to complete a trade transaction. And here to speak with us is Caroline Tompkins, President and CEO of FIT, the Forum for International Trade Training. Caroline's experience in the educational sector began more than 25 years ago at Simon Fraser University with the Public Policy Programs Division in the Continuing Continuing Education Department. Over the years, she has has honed her understanding and passion of cross-cultural environments through her work and travels, including work for the United Nations in Bosnia during 1994 to 1995. Caroline has been with FIT for nearly two decades. She is steadfast in her commitment to its continued growth as a thriving organization for international trade professionals and has cultivated relationships with the many industry and government partners fundamental to its success. Welcome, Caroline. We're so happy to have you on our show today. FIT has been doing some incredible things when it comes to international trade. So why don't you tell us about FIT and what you have been working on? do that. And thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Nick, for having me. So FIT is a national standards and certification body for international trade professionals. And uh, it's uh, hard to know where to start what we, in terms of what we've been working on. But um, for the past three years or so, we've been researching the competencies needed to create high performers in international trade. So our job is to help people become high performers in global markets. And to be a high performer in any field requires a commitment to lifelong learning through either informal or formal channels. So for FIT, this means creating lifelong learning opportunities for people working within international trade. Core purpose is to build a competence in international trade for professionals that work in the field. So whether they're operating their own business or working for a company that has international trade as part of their growth strategy, and even uh, government employees who are advising are working with businesses that are international in scope. So within this sandbox that it plays in, what we're working on now are more precisely probably what we've been working on <clears throat> for the past uh, few years, is researching the competencies required in international trade with a forward-looking approach and updating our core international business programs based on this research. So we are always continuously updating our knowledge-based resources, whether it's our formal international business training programs, fit skills, or our free online resources, uh, such as the blog, Trade Ready, that you mentioned, to reflect what people need to know to succeed uh, in their careers in international trade. So it's about empowering the individual. Yeah, FIT does a lot of great work within international trade. So let's get into the cast of characters and what it takes to complete 
a trade transaction. And in international trade, you say international trade and global commerce is a business of people and partnerships. Can you expand a little bit on that for us? Sure. Um, in the end, business is about a sales transaction. And it doesn't matter how good a company's products or services are, what price they're offered at, or even how good uh, country, a country's relationship with another country is. Without trade-capable people, the sales transaction is just not going to happen. Trade won't happen. So we often speak, you know, the big buzzword is B2B, business to business, in a situation, you know, where one business is making a sales transaction or a commercial transaction with another business. But this B2B transaction is powered by people working within the business, the connections people have with each other that ultimately solidifies uh, in a buyer and seller relationship. The sales and the growth of business are fueled, um, in my mind, by the people within the businesses and the relationships that they have. So it's with this in mind that I say global commerce is, is a business of, of people. Awesome. So let's let's go through a little bit of the cast of the characters. Um, and I know that it starts with the exporter, at least your blog starts with the exporter. Can you uh, give us a little bit of background on that and how that plays into the trade transaction? Okay, uh, so the exporter, uh, simply stated, or maybe uh, technically stated, an exporter, quote unquote, you know, sells their product to a buyer in another country. And the person, our business in the other country, we refer to as the importer. So when I think of the individual as an exporter, I think of usually an owner or operator of a small business, the entrepreneur, uh, who needs to have a broad base of understanding of all the factors that get involved in uh, exporting, especially because they're operating such a small business. So not only do they have to have an intimate knowledge of their product, obviously, they also have to have international business savvy. So in the small business, the exporter wears you know, a number of hats and often has to play the role of various cast members within the company. On the one hand, they'll be you know, thinking one morning or you know, in the morning about st- strategically about which market to enter. On the other hand, they'll be interacting with the frontline staff on the importer side. You know, on the other hand, they'll be running to their accountant. And on the other hand, they'll be answering their, their own telephone. So the exporter or the owner-operator of an exporting business has to oversee all the business operations and understand the risks of trade um, and know how to mitigate those risks or mitigate, and uh, in addition to setting the price and building their relationships. So as a small business grows, uh, the business is able to attract additional employees and additional talent. And that's when the cast of characters within an exporting company now, say, a medium-sized company grows to include many other areas of exporting expertise. Hmm. That's really interesting. So on the flip side of that, you mentioned it a couple of times when we were when, when, uh, discussing the exporters. So on the flip side of that is an importer. So tell us a little bit about that and, and how that, that, um, that function differs from an exporter. Um, well, the importer is one that is buying the product from uh, outside the country. So again, the exporter is the one that's selling a product to a buyer in another country, and the buyer in the other country is referred to as the importer. But usually, uh, these days, trade is very integrated. You generally don't just have an exporter. Most companies are both exporting and importing. 
Right. So that um, complexities can arise. Right. And and in a small business, I'm guessing there is one person that could be wearing the exporter hat one day and the importer hat hat the next. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So it can get a little bit overwhelming, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah. I think any small business is overwhelming. And you uh, only because, you know, most of us and fits a not for profit organization, but we operate like a small business. And, uh, you know, less than 10 employees, and we're, you know, we're wearing multiple hats. All the employees are doing numerous different things, despite the fact that we might have a title of a content specialist, for instance, or client service representative. We, nonetheless, are all doing a little bit of everything. Caroline, I got a question. Uh, do you think there's always more responsibility on the exporter, or would it be kind of the same? Or, like, does it vary depending on how this shipment is set up or depending on the commodity of the goods? I would say it depends. I think in trade, uh, there's a lot of different factors that will um, be, you know, some sales transactions are going to be a lot more complex than others. So I think it really varies. You're right. Yeah, and it probably depends on the country that you're either importing from or exporting to as well, right? Exactly, yeah. Okay, so... Going down the list, the next one that we talk about or, or um, that you guys talk about is the financier. I mean, this is an important role and many one, like, one that many really do forget or overlook. What is, what is an example of why this role is so important? Oh, financier, that's a fancy word. Right? <laughs> um, so, well, I think that's a really important role. I mean, companies are in the business of making money and... Uh, the finance officer or the global accountant is there to make sure a company gets paid. And it you know, sounds simple enough, but it is complex. Um, you know, it's simple enough, for instance, for a retailer or a digital retailer, basically the product doesn't ship until it's paid for. But many sales transactions, as we were just saying, are very complicated. So this character, the global accountant, is he's working or she's working on the stage where there are often a multitude of currencies involved, different tax policies involved, and standard accounting practices that have to be navigated as the company's money moves back and forth through international financial systems. So they need to be able to understand currencies and the tax policies so that they can be proficient at analyzing pricing and profit potential. And this includes the need to uh, understand foreign exchange and, um, gains and losses. It's a critical role in business, absolutely, any finances. Yeah, and we're actually talking about um, letters of credit in the next episode. And uh, so you bring up a great point, and I think we're going to be expanding more on that role in the next episode for all of our listeners. I think where we're going with this is that the next um, character sort of on this list and all this on this journey that we're going through is the transport company and the broker. Um, so they're sort of the next character um, on the list as a part of that trade transaction. So, I mean, for us, I mean, as a freight forwarding company, um, you know, as Ice Corp Logistics, the, the transport of the shipment and the broker and the customs clearance of the goods either, you know, into, into the country or, or on the export side, um, clearing out of the country is 
there it's obviously an important part of the trade transaction that whole sort of logistics and transportation component so um yeah i mean for us it plays a really big role and not a lot of people you know a lot of people you know ship goods and they 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 move goods all around the globe but i don't think it's it's talked about very much how important that role is. So going on to the next one, uh, we talk about the agent. So from an international market entry viewpoint, why is this role so important? Well, the agent, uh, maybe I'll, I'll get back just a little bit to the logistics or the brokers. I mean, I think you're right that I mean, they are critical. And, you know, there's some skills that they have to be mastered, which I think you and, uh, and Nick have mastered. And that. And compliance is a huge element of that, right? Uh, compliance with domestic and international laws as a transporter and uh, just developing the strategies for the delivery of the goods into the new markets and knowing what markets you're going into and what rules and regulations apply there. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, you know, and then logistics <clears throat> kind of, um, you know, feeds into the whole supply chain manager role, I guess, where you know, you're managing the vendor relationships, um, again, evaluating and, mitig- you know, mitigating risk. And also, I would see the supply chain managers or logistics managers identifying new methods of moving goods that may be more efficient and more cost, uh, cost effective. Yeah, absolutely. Then the agents, agents are interesting. Um, and distributors, I mean, when a company decides to enter a market through direct exporting, they'll often work through either an agent or a distributor, and they play a critical role as well, particularly in increasing sales, uh, because they have the connections in the country or the region you're looking to sell the product to. So when you're hiring an agent, what you want to be able to do is make sure, what you want to make sure is that they have an established uh, customer base within <clears throat> the market you're entering. Uh, I mean, bottom line is that's, you know, the best advantage of working with an agent is their connection. And because they have the connections, they can increase your sales uh, potential a lot quicker than if you had to develop the connections on your own. So at the same time, though, when you hire an agent, your profit rates will be reduced somewhat as you'll be paying an agent commission. But uh, the agent fees can often be a lot less expensive than the time and effort, the cost, you know, it would take you in terms of time and effort to find buyers in a market that you have no connections with. So the role of an agent is really quite valuable. You want want to maintain a lot of control of how your product gets uh, into the hands of the end user. And generally speaking, an agent will enter into contracts uh, with their established customer base uh, on your behalf. That is, you know, they go out and they sell the product and fulfill the contract. You have control over what the contracts are signed and what the terms of the contracts are. So on, on that note, when does the government get involved? Would it only be the exporter government involved? Would it be both sides of the government from the importer side and the exporter? Um, is it normally just the importer government that gets involved? And, and what do they need to know? Uh, well, it depends. <laughs> um, if you're hiring an agent, usually that's the agent in the country you're going to that would be responsible for their government, to their government for taxes, etc. Okay, perfect. And does it um, does the government play a role on the? I I mean, I know from a custom standpoint that government plays a role on the importing side. Is there is there any other role um, that the government plays in a trade transaction that maybe we haven't covered? I think. 
think government plays a role in all trade transactions one way or the other, right? And that's where the compliance officers of a company are really very important. Um, and if you're a small company, understanding uh, the different compliance regulations, whether they're uh, um, tax regulations, environment res regulations, et cetera. I, don't, I just don't know, even in a domestic business, where government doesn't play a role one way or the other. So for me, the international trade element of that just creates more complexity because you're dealing with more than one government now. Yeah, absolutely, because you're dealing with one, um, either if you're buying from that country or selling into that country, there's there's definitely some components of, of government that gets involved. I'm guessing, you know, from a tax standpoint, you know, a customs and declaration standpoint. Yeah, and then, you know, on the side of agents and distributors, it's like that area, you know, the agent is, is usually... Uh, um, a national of the country you're going into, the market you're entering, right? Yeah, so they'll, absolutely. You know, they'll have to uh, they'll have to know whatever regulations they have to follow there. And that's one of the advantages. Yeah, and that takes me back to the exporter and the importer role. All of those regulations, you really need to make sure that you work with some good companies within the supply chain to really help you sort of navigate and wrap your head around some of those those regulations that can be quite you know, complex and, and uh, have a lot of, of substance to them that, that you really need to make sure that you're aware of. Yeah, that's right. And I think agents, um, you know, can be a big help with that. Distributors, a little, maybe a little different, but, you know, there's not a set rule for anybody, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I'm talking more in generalities, but, uh, like, even with a distributor, you know, basically they'll produce, they'll purchase your product, They'll sell it to anyone. Um, <clears throat> it's a good approach for a company uh, if they don't need control over who buys their product or what terms they buy it in. And it's a good approach often if cash flow is an issue because a distributor will often just buy the products directly from you up front and then sell them. Yeah, that's a good point. So the next so the distributor is going to want to make sure if he's buying the products up front from you and selling them uh, in the market country, he's going to want or she's going to want to make sure that all the regulations are followed so that they don't get in trouble, right? Yeah, and I, it also helps with additional costs and delays and, you know, penalties for not delivering on time. I mean, it's really got a cascading effect. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the next one on your list is the supporting cast. So who are these players and which is the most important, or important um, supporting role? Okay. Well, I think before I talk about the supporting role, I'm going to talk first. Again. I'm going to go back to the owner. Uh, just in a small, medium-sized business, um, ultimately, um, you have to have the owner who's the most important cast member. Because if you don't have buy-in from the owner or an understanding by the owner of what it is necessary, what's necessary to manage the international trade function that you'll be involved in, then you, you know that you as an employee may want to move on uh, because uh, if, if international trade is your career focus, you really need to buy in from the employer. But after the owner, most important, supporting cast member will vary from business to business. And I think the most important supporting role will likely depend on where the company is in terms of its life, life cycle. So for instance, a business that has just decided to enter into a new market uh, based on research that they've done, it's likely that uh, they'll be looking at putting a lot of effort into creating new customers. 
So this is where business development managers and sales managers uh, and even securing an agent or a distributor uh, will be critical. Whereas a company that's already been in the market for a long time and has a solid customer base, they may now be at a phase uh, in their life cycle of needing to develop new products and services to continue to serve their current clients and then create even more customers, right? So in this phase, researchers and product developers may be more critical to continue the growth of the company. So there are just so many factors, again, to consider uh, to select just one of the most, what's the most important role. I really believe it's, uh, it's determined by the life cycle of the company. Um, now, in saying that, there are you know, key supporting cast members that all businesses should consider. And in smaller ones, you usually have you know, one person wearing two or three of these hats. And bigger ones, you can you know, have uh, indiv more individuals and more talent at your disposal. Um, so we've already spoken, for instance, of the global accountant. They keep an eye on whether the company is making money or, to be more precise, whether they're making a profit. Uh, but before the global accountant can do that, the company has to have the clients and the customers that are buying the products. And to secure customers, you need somebody in charge of business development uh, or a sales manager. <clears throat> and I find those two, business development and sales managers, um, are often used interchangeably. In a small business, the person responsible for one is often the person responsible for the other. Um, but as the business gets bigger, the two roles become more defined. So while both roles are focused on growing the business, the one role, the business development manager, is really about prospecting, and the other role, uh, the sales manager, is really about closing the deal. Right. The, yeah, so the business development manager, key occupation in international trade, uh, key, key uh, player, uh, their job is to generate and retain customers in a new market. Uh, basically prospecting, qualifying leads, and uh, and then turning over the, to the sales team for the close. And often the sales team they're turning it over to, if it's a small or medium business, it's themselves they're turning over the sales, uh, the closing to, right? Yeah. I think other supporting roles we've already touched upon as well is the compliance officers. Um, and, uh, you know, these are the people that uh, need to ensure we're following rules and regulations. You have the researchers, which are going to help identify what markets are best suited to uh, the business, uh, what products are suited, uh, or what you have to change with respect to your product to be more attractive to buyers in a new market. Uh, the logistics managers we've talked about, uh, procurement managers, supply chain managers. So a lot of, um, a lot of roles. In bigger companies, you'll have, you know, a team of people that are working on these. In smaller companies, you'll have, as I mentioned, you know, often one or one person or two people having, you know, playing the role of five or six different occupation type um, work elements. Yeah, so uh, trade transactions really touch all aspects of a business theoretically it's it's it really is a cast of characters and and uh, everybody seems to have you know at some point a role in that trade transaction so education to me is a key to keeping the players in sync with the supply chain um, you don't need to be a master of of it all and that's why you have these key roles but you do need to have the knowledge in each area would you agree with that Oh, absolutely. You have to have, uh, as you say, I agree that you don't have to master every area, but you do need to have a general understanding of all the elements uh, that go into trade uh, for the company. 
So on that note, um, I want to try to take the interview into a slightly different, uh, different area. Um, where do you see international trade in the next five to ten years, and what do you, what do you think are the challenges? Um, the next five to ten years. So connecting and engaging, I think, with customers is going to continue. I mean, it's important now, but I think it's going to continue to be more and more important going forward. And I think this, of course, is a result of social media. We're, con you know, we're communicating and engaging with customers and potential customers in different ways and a lot quicker. So I think that's going to just continue uh, uh, to be prevalent. Um, I think servicing customers uh, is going to be a key way to increase revenues, um, too. So in many cases, I don't think it's going to be enough just to offer the product anymore. Uh, how you support the delivery of that product and the after-sales service is going to be very important. The product is going to have to be you know, easier to buy, and companies will have to be easier to do business with than others and with their competition. So in terms of challenges, um, Changing dynamics of trade is going to be something everyone is going to need to continue to address. So trade is going to continue, but I think in more of an ever-increasing complex uh, global business environment. Some of the trends that I see affecting the complexity and challenges include um, social and cultural changes, for instance, you know, the growth of direct marketing, which will continue to give rise to e-commerce and social media activities. And then many of these uh, uh, consumers or clients are going to start coming from, or they already have, but it will continue uh, from a growing middle class or consumers from high trade countries such as China and India. And then also, as companies grow globally, this is going to give rise to a global workforce and we'll continue to see an increase in the cultural diversity of the colleagues we're working with on a day-to-day -day basis and the clients we're serving. These uh, kind of social and cultural trends later, in my mind, have a regular, regulatory impact if they become popular enough, so such as um, by local requirements and protectionism forces that are going, out there, uh, going on out there. Trade will continue to happen, but you know, if we have more by local requirements, there's going to be, uh, it's going to be more challenging. And of course, there's the, you know, the growing environmental lens on all exports, which will need to be considered when entering into new markets. Uh, products on the environmental side, you know, the packaging of project, uh, products really important for people to start seeing packaging being reduced. So that, I think that's going to uh, affect um, manufacturing and will affect supply, you know, logistics as well. I mean, the smaller packaging, the more product you can put. Yeah, transport. Yeah, that's an interesting point because we haven't really uh, we haven't really touched on in any of our our interviews the environmental impact of um, some of the elements of international trade. I mean, previously on some other episodes we've talked about three uh, D printing and the possible effects that that's going to also have on trade, um, almost going from finished goods to raw materials. So. I think it's an exciting time, and I really think that uh, we've got a lot to, lot to look forward to. Um, but I also think that um, people in international trade and supply chain are, are really going to have to keep on top of their education and, and keep on top of the, the different trends and, and the different um, dynamics that are happening within the industry. So um, that brings me 
to my next question. What top supply chain executives and companies are you following? I know people are getting their information from all sorts of different places, and it's it's really interesting for us to hear from our guests, you know, where you're going for your information so that we can um, provide that to some of our listeners as well. You mean aside from uh, Ice Corp and uh, Two Babes Talk Supply Chain? Why, thank you. <laughs> Well, those are the only two we follow. Right? <laughs> um, so I, a bit follows. We follow hundreds of different uh, organizations and individuals because we're so cross-sectoral and cross-occupational. We do follow tons of different uh, people, as I said, in organizations. Supply chain. You know, we go to you guys. I've been on the, you know, to Dave's talk uh, supply chain for. Uh, you know, every other day for the past few weeks. It's, uh, it's a great source of information. Awesome. Um, we love to have you on our website. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think I, it's... Uh, I, I personally follow Peter Hall, the Chief Economist of uh, Export Development Canada. I always uh, find uh, he's, uh, he's got um, some really good insights on the global economy uh, generally and also very country-specific information. And then, of course, I follow the Bank of Canada as well. Um, Supply chain, uh, ice core. <laughs> well, thank you. But I also think it's really important to note here your Trade Ready blog um, because you have a lot of contributors and a lot of and a lot of regular com- contributors, and they contribute um, content on all sorts of different topics in international trade and supply chain. And uh, it's a really good um, source of knowledge in that field anyways. So in saying that, what is next for FIT? Can you just give us a little rundown of of maybe what's next for you guys and what's in the future? Oh, geez, how much time do we have? Well, we've got a couple minutes. Okay, what's next for FIT? so our job is to, uh, you know, as I mentioned, really ensure that those working in global business uh, have access to reliable and current international trade uh, resources, knowledge resources, whether it's our training programs, uh, the formal training programs like Fit Skills, or as you mentioned, the knowledge and resources we have on the Trade Ready blog. Um, but we also want to ensure that uh, our certified members uh, are recognized uh, for the specialized skills and knowledge it takes to work in international trade, the ever-changing and more and more complex global business environment. So the idea for our certified members, certified international trade professionals such as yourself, Sarah, um, is the idea, you know, what we want to do is make sure that these individuals <clears throat> can say, I know what I know and I have the credentials to prove it. So what's next for FIT is is, uh, you know, trade is becoming more complex, which means that FIT needs to continue to support people in the field. Um, and we need to uh, create international business expertise. Um, so FIT, what we want to do is really ensure that we're providing the most current information that people can rely on. It also means uh, we have to look at different ways people need to receive their information and knowledge resources. So the trends in technology that are affecting, you know, all businesses are also, of course, affecting FIT. So, you know, informational content and informational-driven technologies are driving how people develop expertise and also how quickly they can gain access to expertise and knowledge. And this is creating new learning paradigms. And as, you know, FIT is, you know, being core purpose, being confidence building, the learning paradigms are critical for us. 
new learning paradigms such as learn it and figure it out as, you know, on your own, Google it, for instance, you know, uh, to changing the educational environment of both formal and informal learning. So, practically, you know, speaking, I guess this means, you know, we need to continue at FIT doing, uh, doing what we do best, providing current reliable training programs that are designed by business for business, so the individuals taking the programs uh, know they're getting hands-on practical tools to help support their companies move through uh, the sales transaction. Uh, we also, you know, want to provide other knowledge-based resources and sources of information that reflect what people need to know and succeed in their careers, and making sure whatever we offer is available in the format that people need. So over the next four years or so, we'll be, you know, continuing doing what we do, but also looking at expanding our products and services, uh, ensuring we always meet the expectations of our clients, um, growing the value and awareness of the CITP designation, and adapting our technologies and digital capabilities to make sure that we can uh, work our way through the maze of um, uh, understanding our clients and uh, clients a lot better. Yeah, I think one of the the critical points that you you talk about is is getting it recognized. And we talked about this in the last episode with uh, Dawn from SIG, was that she was talking about getting sourcing um, recognized in the boardroom. And I think what we're talking about for FIT as well is to also get, you know, that international trade component recognized at that level and recognize that it's an important part of the organization. Yes. Well, I think for any, um, you know, for any company that is looking at international trade as a growth strategy, they, you know, they have to recognize the fact that, you know, the trade, again, is only going to happen by uh, making, by, through the employees, right, through the talent they have on staff or the talent that they're outsourcing to. Yeah, so just to recap uh, what we spoke about today, um, the cast of characters includes the exporter, the importer, the financier, the transportation company, the broker, the agent, the government, the supporting cast. And, uh, you know, it's been so much fun having you on the show today, Caroline. We just want to say thank you for being with us today and such a great supporter of the show. Thank you, Caroline. Okay, thank you so much for having me, Sarah and Nick. I really appreciate it. Are you struggling to make the most out of your supply chain and keep your orders moving efficiently? IceCorp is your supply chain specialist, and they specialize in e-commerce, retail, and drop ship distribution. They will provide you with tailor-made solutions that will drive your business and sales forward. Get your free assessment. Visit them at icecorplogistics.com. Check out their learning center as they have some great free resources waiting for you. All the information about Caroline and Fit will be on our website under episode 14. And check out their international trade community at tradeready.ca. Next week, we are getting into supply chain finance and how to protect your interest with Alexander Maltex, president of Opus Advisory Service International. You won't want to miss his practical insight and tips about protection. Plus, we have another exclusive free giveaway. Follow us on Insta, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and check out our website for all the great giveaways at twobabestalksupplychain.com. Remember to subscribe and join us on iTunes and Stitcher. As always, remember, ship happens.